0: People say the Premier League is impossible to predict, but this podcast is here to help. We're working with InfoGoal to take a look at the numbers for each and every one of the Premier League fixtures this season. If you're looking to find value in the markets, data can be the key. Welcome to Premier League Insights. It's time for another round of Premier League Insights. We've waited a while, but the games are going to be coming thick and fast now. The action returned with Aston Villa versus Sheffield United and Manchester City versus Arsenal. And now we've got a full fixture list for game week 30 to get through. As always, the market's alive and the value is there to be had. To help inform your predictions, I've got Jake Osgathorpe here to run through the fixtures and share some InfoGoal Insights. You all good, Jake?
1: Yeah, very well, thanks. Coming off a pretty hot midweek, um, obviously with Manchester City thumping Arsenal as predicted and doing so by keeping a clean sheet. So let's hope we can keep that form rolling into the weekend.
0: Yeah, a bit of a bit of a wait, but worth the wait for you, I think. And uh, yeah, we've got 10 games now. Are you, are you ready to get into these?
1: Yes, yeah. 10 good games as well.
0: Right, we'll, we'll start off with Norwich versus Southampton and we've got a... A team here that probably won't be in the Premier League next year with Norwich. I can't remember the exact figure, but I know you had them down as as well over ninety percent to get relegated. I think if it, yeah, if they are to stand any chance of surviving, then they're they're going to have to win this game and and many more, obviously. And I mean, it's it's probably going to be a difficult task against against Southampton. They're not too high up in the table, but they are better than the table suggests. The market isn't as big on Southampton as maybe you might expect, still around a 45% chance of the win on them with odds at 2.28. Norwich are 3.2, which is around a 30% chance. Um, And with this one, it's interesting to see that the money has come in on the over, uh, over 2.5, so it seems like bettors are expecting goals in this one. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, we completely agree with that. Um, It's looking desperate for Norwich, really, and they're only six points from safety, but uh, from what we've seen all season long, they have performed like a, a team we would expect to get relegated. So, um, yeah, this is quite a big game for them. Um, what I would say that that they have got going for them is that this little three-month hiatus has done them the world of good in terms of getting players back fit. So, um, one of the things that we've spoke about regularly with Norwich is, is the fact that basically half their back four and midfield have been missing for m- the majority of the season. So, having those back will, you know, will boost them for sure during down this home straight, but. You know, on the whole, they're averaging 1.9 to expected goals against per game, and and that sort of defensive uh, process is not going to keep you in the Premier League. So, um, it it is make or break for them, really. Um, I think in the next couple of games, especially with the teams around them having what we would argue is a, a pretty nice kind fixtures as well. So um yeah, I think that I think they will improve. I think the process will improve towards the end of the season just purely because of the fact that, that that key players will be returning from injuries. But um it could well prove too little, too late. Um and as for Southampton, uh some say that they are still in the relegation battle, but personally I think that they're, you know, well well clear, seven points clear, and um I think that they should end up pulling away quite comfortably. We spoke about them quite a lot this season. Has uh, been one of the biggest underperformers according to expected goals. So, uh, 14th in the actual table, 8th in our expected goals table. So, a process of a top half team, meaning that they're unfortunate to be in the bottom half, and um, you know that that's been reflected in their performances really throughout the season. Um, one thing that has been pointed out quite often is the fact that most of Southampton's points have come away from home, um, as opposed to at St Mary's. That. that that isn't anything to do with a better process. The processes are pretty similar at home and away from home uh, in terms of the chance creation and, and allowing a certain amount of chances. Um, but they are a bit more potent away from home. And I think that's probably down to the, the counter-attacking threats that they possess with obviously the pace of uh, of Shane Long, uh, the trickery of Boofowl and then the clinicalness of Ings combining um, when there's a bit more space for them to exploit. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a pretty good game for Southampton to get back into. Norwich will improve for the break, but um, you know we've got Southampton down. It's so a 43% chance of winning, so pretty much in line with what's on the market. And like you said there, the goal line is is, is shortening um, pretty quickly, uh, but we're still finding value in, in the 1.85 that's available. So we've got a 58% chance of, of, of the overs landing. Um, markets around 53%. Uh, as for the both teams to score, again, we've got value in that. We think we're going to see quite a high scoring game. Um, 61% of both teams to score and for 57% on the market. So uh, goals are expected, but I won't be able to pick a winner for you.
0: Yeah, I, I think you do have to wonder if, if Southampton had someone outside of um, Danny Ings chipping in with the goals, how well they could have done this season. But for me, they, they seem to be... They seem to be always in that position of the they've been unfortunate. They should always be higher up the table than they actually are. I, I know you are a big fan of, of Ralph Husson and Hartle, but is is it their style of play? Do you think it's just maybe a couple of seasons where they've been unfortunate, and and ultimately we will see that regression at one point or another?
1: Um, I think. Well, if you look back to last season, obviously they were in dire straits under Mark Hughes before Hassan Hooper came in, um, and you know even under Hughes they were performing like a team around 13th, 14th in the Premier League. The main issue for them this season has just been converting chances, which comes obviously might be a surprise given the fact that Danny Ings has scored so many, but um, I would probably imagine looking at the player XG that it, it isn't Ings that's at fault for that underperformance. Obviously he's scored, I, know, I think it's 14 goals, which is quite a high percentage of Southampton's 35. Um, but according to expected goals, he should have scored around 45. So um, this underscored by 10. And obviously if, if, if they would have scored those 10 extra goals. They would be much higher in the table and in a much more comfortable position. So, um, yeah, Danny Ings has been the main man for them, but chances have been falling to other players that just haven't been taken. And, you know, if, if, if that changes in the near future, if they start um, scoring, if sorry, if different players start contributing a little bit more um, in terms of converting the chances, then Southampton should climb the table. And, and, you know, they could be an interesting team to look forward to next season.
0: Right, we'll get on to our next game because we've got Tottenham versus Manchester United. Got to be one of the, the highlight games for this round of fixtures and obviously an important one in the, the race for Champions League qualification. I think Tottenham are all but out of that, but I know you rate Manchester United's chances of, of catching Chelsea and potentially securing that, that fourth and final Champions League spot. Big benefits for them are the, the key players that they've got in, in Pogba and Rashford. We We talked about that in our podcast the other day. Obviously, Bruno Fernandes has been in great form since he came in um, and they've got that impressive defensive performances that they've they've been building on. So, I mean, they, they could get what would be a really important win here. Pinnacle has got Manchester United as the favourites, despite being on the road, pretty evenly matched across the board, though. Tottenham are 2.99, the draw 3.50 and Solskjaer's side are 2.44. The total for this one is 2.5 and the, the over again is currently the favourite. I'm sure plenty of people out there are going to think this is going to be a, a classic Mourinho performance of trying to limit the opposition, not really doing much forward. Haven't really talked too much about Tottenham there, but I mean, their, their defence hasn't been great. There's a, maybe a lot of inflation around Mourinho's ability to sort that defence out because they've been pretty poor this season. Two questions here then, I guess. Is it, is it as obvious as defence versus attack? And and do you think there is any value on offer in the available markets?
1: Um, no, I don't see that it is an obvious defence versus attack. Um, and yes, we do see plenty of value in, in a couple of markets. And like you said there, I mean, um, you know, Mourinho is, is renowned for his defensive masterclasses. Um, but it's been exactly the opposite since his arrival at Tottenham. Um, Whether he's been trying to shore them up defensively or not, um, whatever he's been doing hasn't worked. They've been one of the worst defensive teams in the Premier League since his arrival. Um, In fact, only Aston Villa, West Ham, Newcastle and Bournemouth have allowed more expected goals against than Tottenham since Jose Mourinho joined the club. So they are really struggling defensively and I know that the Spurs themselves have players coming back the likes of Kane um, Son Stephen Bergwijn is now back fit uh, musa Sissoko also but it wasn't it's not attacking areas that they've struggled this season it's been it's been defensively and um, what we've seen as the season's progressed is that almost the, the Tottenham backline because they're They've got no pace anymore. is and Vertongan are both slowed up. Um, Davinson Sanchez is a must in that back line if they are to have any chance in this game. But they've been dropping deeper and deeper and just providing much more space for teams to operate in front of the back four um, or back five. So um, that's why they've been... Uh, basically, they've been run ragged for um, a lot long spells of the season. Um, since Mourinho's appointment, they've ranked as the 12th best team in Premier League. So... Yeah, that, that just shows you how poor they've been, that they've got an expected goal difference of minus 2.6 since the Portuguese man arrived. Um, and, you know, that, that that puts them below teams like Burnley and Brighton. And incidentally, the last Premier League game came at Burnley where they allowed um, 3.7 expected goals, which, you know, that shows you just how bad things uh, were at the time. And I don't expect them to have changed too much, I think one thing that we've seen obviously we've we've covered the bundesliga on in for goal and Info-Golo. one thing that we have seen when looking at, at pre-break and post-break the the you know the trends from teams uh, teams have continued from before and after so um you know if that's any indication of what to expect here then spurs should be struggling yet again uh, despite the three-month break um and united should be thriving so it's an interesting one to look to to watch um but yeah like i said the main issue i have with Spurs heading into this game is is their defense um they're allowed 2.1 expected goals against per game in the last 10 um which you know is some is just sort of numbers that we would expect from a norwich um or a west ham teams that are in that relegation dogfight so there's a lot to improve on defensively Obviously, like I said, Kane and Son's reintroduction will be um, you know, very timely, especially given the fact that realistically they are still in with a chance of a top four finish, just looking at the table. But um, obviously, as we spoke about all season long, their underlying numbers have been that of a bottom half team. So it would be a surprise if they did manage to get into, into the top four and perhaps even Europe, given the fact that Sheffield United, Wolves, the two teams directly above them have actually got better processes than um, than than them. So there's a lot to worry about from for, from a Spurs perspective. And, and yeah, it's just really interesting to think what Mourinho is going to take in terms of a, a tactical setup here. because obviously we saw against Liverpool and Manchester City in, in in the home games that they literally just sat in and. and parked 11 men on the edge of the box um, and said break is down. Liverpool managed to. Manchester City missed a penalty but also created a ton of chances that weren't taken before Spurs managed to score twice from I think around three shots that they created on the ga- uh, in the game. So, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what what sort of t- approach they take. But one thing that they've got to be careful of is Manchester United's counter-attack. You know, if, if Tottenham Open up a little bit, then they're leaving themselves very exposed, especially with the quality in midfield now that Manchester United have in terms of Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba and uh, their ability to transition the ball from back to front really quickly, uh, which could be really interesting and a really key uh, key theme in this game. So, yeah, Tottenham, it's a little bit bleak for them. As for Manchester United, they were one of the form teams before the break, obviously. Across all competitions, they were um, 11 unbeaten. They'd won eight of those games, scoring 29 times, conceding just twice and keeping nine clean sheets. Uh, five of those games came in the Premier League. They picked up 11 points from five Premier League games in that that's uh, run and and four of those games came against teams in the top 6 of our expected goal table which um you know adds an even more impressive um gloss to those results um coming against Chelsea, Manchester City, Wolves and Everton so they were peaking at the right time um I, as I said I, I don't think that break is going to upset them too much if anything they'll be stronger for the break with Rashford and Pogba returning as you've mentioned um so yeah in terms of the the game here in the the 1x2 market we we think manchester united should be a little bit shorter than what they are so we're giving them around a 42% chance of getting the three points um that would move them level with chelsea obviously chelsea play on sunday um so yeah the value in, in backing manchester united to win we've also think that this could be more high scoring um than the, what the market is suggesting the market's got it pretty pretty much split 50-50 um in terms of overs and unders we actually go 58% chance of over 2.5, and obviously that is down to the fact that Spurs' expected goals against rating is extremely high um, due to their performances this season and the back end of last season. So we think the goals is it, well, we think the goal line is a bit too short, uh, small at the moment. We think it should be a little bit higher. Um, and as for the both teams to score exactly the same, we've got small value in that 60% chance of both teams hitting the net, 57% chance on the market. So a high score in a away win is where we're looking. And, and, you know, a little side bet almost um, in terms of looking at goal scorer angle. Obviously, he's been in the news quite a lot this week. Uh, Marcus Rashford, not Daniel. Um, he's been mightily impressive if, if he does start. So it's obviously um, team news dependent this, but um, he's averaged 0.74 expected goals per 90. Um, and we calculate that he's should be around even money to score, but I think you can back him at odds against to get on the uh, on the score sheet anytime, which yeah, for me is a decent play. I think I think he scored in the reverse game as well, um, again at, at Old Trafford, in which Mourinho was in charge. So yeah, that's a little bit of a side bet, but Manchester United to win an over two and a half is where we're looking.
0: I'll give anyone any odds they want on Daniel Rashford. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> um one one thing that's interesting in this game and and a lot of the time and, and this is a message from Pinnacle and anyone that's really serious about betting is is not to buy into to narratives and things like that and use sources like Infogold to actually look at data. Um there's gonna be a lot about obviously the return of Mourinho, the time he's had to prep for the game. This this returning manager, he knows the team inside out. Do do you buy into any of that? Is there any kind of advantage that can be garnered from that, do you think?
1: Uh not really. No. Um you know, the Manchester United play in a much different manner to what they did under Mourinho. Um, obviously, some of the players are different also. You think of uh, Juan Bissaka, Maguire, Bruno Fernandes, um, obviously, Garlo. So, a lot's changed. Um, yeah, I, I'm just intrigued to see what Mourinho does set-up-wise. Uh, I think he got it completely wrong in the reverse game and Manchester United end up winning that 2-1. Um, yeah. Three months to come up with a defensive plan. You would imagine that Mourinho, of all people, Would be capable of doing that but then again looking at the last 10 games before that where he's tried to come up with a defensive plan didn't really go too well so it's going to be intriguing watch this and i hope it's um you know i hope it's as good as the billing that it's getting
0: right let's move on to watford versus leicester and another game with another away favorite and i think looking at the table it's obvious to see why but perhaps one where we're digging a bit deeper here could could help betters out Leicester are currently third. I, th- I think that's a bit of a deceiving position based on their performances this season. And uh, I mean, it's been a pretty poor run since the new year. Um, they've only won three of their nine games in 2020. Those three were against three of the worst teams in the league in Newcastle, West Ham and Aston Villa. Obviously not a, a terrible return, but enough to have them probably now looking over their shoulders at, at teams like Manchester United um, that could be catching up to that top four. Um, Watford, meanwhile, they're they're kind of the opposite. A bit unfortunate to be so low down the table. They've had some impressive performances and a bit of a bit of a recovery since Nigel Pearson came in, but they're still in big trouble down there. So this is another another one where it's a really important game for a, a relegation contender. Um in terms of the odds, Leicester just over or uh, they're two point zero nine, um, and that has shortened a bit. Watford are three point six eight, and the draw is three point five seven. So the odds suggest Watford have just a twenty six percent chance of of getting what could be a really important win. Do you think that they're, they're maybe being a little bit underestimated here? Uh,
1: we don't know. We think that's about fair for for Watford, and you know we had the Jose Mourinho derby on Friday night, and now we've got the Nigel Pearson derby. So um, plenty of managers returning, playing, uh, facing old teams. Yeah. It... Like we've said, Watford have really improved under Pearson. It's something that hasn't gone unnoticed. Obviously, their po- points tally shows that, um, but also their underlying process. So, since his arrival, they've averaged 1.45 expected goals for uh, and 1.47 expected goals against per game. So, they've been, you know, a mid table team, really, um, since Pearson's arrived. And obviously, they went into the break with a, you know, they weren't on the best of form. I think it was, um, what was it? one win in the last seven before, uh, before the break. And, you know, obviously that win was a very famous 3-0 win over Liverpool uh, that ended their unbeaten hopes. But, you know, on the whole, before the break, we were seeing a little bit of a downturn in performance. Um, I don't know whether that was because they were perhaps tired. Obviously, injuries were taking the toll. You think about Gerard Delafeu, who ruptured his cruciate ligament. He's going to be out for the season, even with the three-month break. But he was a crucial player for them in, in their successful little mini-revival. So, you know, the, while things are, are and were looking up um, under Nigel Pearson, it, things did stall a little bit towards the um, towards the break. Um, one thing that is worth noting, though, is the fact that they do or they have been conceding chances in um, just prior to this league suspension. Um, you know, like I said, aside from the Liverpool game, the performances were pretty poor. So they've got a lot to improve upon. Um, and it's a pretty tough game to get started with, to be fair. Leicester, not in great shape themselves um, pre-break. I think it was just one win in the last four or five Premier League games, but their 4 uh, 0 win against Aston Villa, which was obviously the last Premier League game before the break, was you know it was, it was emphatic to say the least. Obviously, Villa are a much worse side uh, defensively than Watford, but when you look at Leicester's home and away process, um, they're actually a much better team away from home according to expected goals than than at home. So. Um, on the road, they're averaging two point one expected goals against per game, and, and one point three one sorry expected goals for. One point three one expected goals against, um, and at home, it's just down to one point five expected goals for and one point three against. So, you know, they're almost zero point five expected goals better off away from home, and I think that's partly down to the fact that they uh, get more space on the counter attack. When playing on the travels and and teams don't sit too deep, and I think they'll get that space here against Watford. Um, under under and Watford have been a much more progressive attack inside, uh, and I think that could, like, be their downfall in this game. I think Leicester will be able to take full advantage of that. Um, and you know, the, I think that at, the, at the prices, Leicester do look at, like a decent value bet. Uh, we've got them at around a forty-nine, fifty percent chance of getting the win, so just around even money. Uh, and I think you said they're about two point one on 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 the market, so. Yeah, good value odds against for a Leicester win. They need it as well, like you said. Teams are breathing down their neck now all of a sudden. Um, and we also think, like the Manchester United game, that the goal line should be a little bit higher. So we've got a 60% chance of over two and a half. Market's around 51%. So decent value in, in getting on side with goals, which I, I, think, I think there will be. Leicester's last few away games have featured plenty of goals. Uh, and both teams to score looks a pretty decent value bet as well. 61% chance compared to 56 on the market so again we're looking at what we think there's going to be goals in this but better chance of goals than what the market's suggesting um in in an away win
0: well i don't know if it's because we've had to wait so long but i feel like we are being spoiled for choice there's another good game in brighton versus arsenal and two teams here where you've got quite differing opinions should we say jake um Brighton down in 15th, still in that relegation scrap and they're one team out of that group of, of teams like Watford who have played well and they've, they've done well in a lot of games this season where they just haven't quite got the right results. Arsenal on the other hand, they're having a, a shocker of a season, I don't really know how to describe it, they're in they're ninth at the moment. <laughs> I think that been um, kind. <laughs> but even that position flatters them, doesn't it? It's it's Their performance have been terrible, um, I mean you could label it all sorts of words Another David Luiz masterclass, cost them big against City. Um, I, t- I don't think that would have made too much of a difference, to be honest. But they, they have now got some injuries to deal with, as well as that suspension. And Arteta's trying to turn things around, seems to want to maybe give youth a bit of a chance. At Brighton, Graham Potter, he's obviously got to make sure that his team stay stay safe and, and get a win here. And it could be a big step in the right direction. Arsenal are the favourites at 2.41, which is a 40% chance. Brighton not far behind them, quite close in the market, 32% chance and odds of 3.07. People might think I'm mad for asking it, but should Arsenal be the favourites for this one, Jake? I think you know the answer to that one, Ben. Uh, categorically not. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, not really going out on a limb, but I'm pretty sure you're going to be looking at Brighton in this one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The model's are all over Brighton in this one. Um, yeah. I can I can understand why Arsenal are favourites on the market. Um. I mean, it's a tentative favourite, to say the least. Uh, I think they were, Arsenal were every game against teams in the bottom six this season. They've gone off odds on, uh, away from home. So, yeah, it just shows you that the market is not respecting Arsenal at all. Um, they are showing a bit more respect to Brighton than what <clears throat> they perhaps would have. But, yeah, um, the model, obviously we've spoke about it all season long, is is really liking Brighton. They're Graham Potter's improved them. Um, that's with a big full stop at the end. They have improved under Graham Potter. Um, although, you know, many looking at the results prior to the break and, and the league position, making a case that perhaps they made the wrong decision in parting ways with Chris Hughton, obviously safe pair of hands. Uh, but, you know, the underlying numbers and performances this season have shown that they've come on leaps and bounds. They've, they've been absolutely sensational and they've been unfortunate uh, or they are unfortunate to be in a relegation battle. Uh, they sit 11th in our expected goals table. So performed like a mid-table team all season long. Um, you know, w- one of the other things that's made a, or very clear by plenty of people is the fact that Brighton are the only team to or yet to win in 2020. So, yeah, that a lot of people are looking at that and saying, "Oh, they're going to be in trouble." But um if you look a little bit closer at those games, they actually won the xG battle in 5 of those 9 um, winless matches. Uh, and the process in that time was 1.47 expected goals for uh, and 1.37 expected goals against per game. So they're actually performing with a positive expected goal difference despite going on this nine-game uh, winless run. And if they keep playing like that, uh, they should have no issues staving off relegation. That's something we've been banging the drum on all season long, the fact that if they maintain that process, then uh, you know they're, they're going to find themselves safe pretty comfortably. Um, one thing I will say that, that needs to happen for Brighton, it is the fact that they need to start taking the chances a little bit more. Um, You know, obviously, you could point the finger. um, Neil Morpai has been quite wasteful, according to expected goals. But as a team, they've they've scored uh, 12 goals fewer than what would be expected. So, they scored 32 times, expected goal total of 44. So, uh, you know, at the end of the season, those 12 goals could prove crucial. But even though they have got a pretty tough running. Um, we still expect them to, to stay up just purely because their XG process is so impressive. Um, and it has been impressive against the better teams in the league as well. You only have to think back to, obviously, the reverse game at the Emirates where they went there and, and schooled Arsenal for 90 minutes and got a 2-1 win. Obviously, a 3-0 success over Spurs um, at uh, at the Amex. Um, I think they, they drew with Chelsea 2-2 in a game in which they deserved to get all three points. So, you know, things have been, sorry, that was 1-1, that draw. Um, so, yeah, things things look bright for Brighton. I, I really believe that. And I think that maintaining this process, they'll be very comfortable and they'll have a great chance of of beating what is a very sorry Arsenal team. So, yeah, Arsenal fans, if you just want to hit the mute button for, I don't know, two minutes, this is not going to sound very good for you. Um, they were same old Arsenal on Wednesday against Manchester City defensively inept. Um, obviously, you can point the blame solely at David Louise, but as a team, they were exceptionally poor. I think the only player um, out of the back four that's come out this season with any credit at all is the goalkeeper, Bernd Leno. I think he's been fantastic. Uh, he kept them in the game, really, before Sterling uh, scored the first goal on Wednesday night. Um, but then after that, they just crumbled. They conceded and um, it was a sloppy goal from David Louise, And then, obviously, the penalty didn't help um, but even prior to the penalty being awarded in that first half, Arsenal really struggled to create chances and so not only are they really uh, you, normally, you know, usually defensively exceptionally poor, um, but they're actually struggling in attack as well, which is a you know a huge worry for them moving forward. Um obviously there was a lot of hype around Arsenal due to that eight game unbeaten run prior to the break in which they'd won I think won four and, and drawn four. Um but you know, that that was just such overhype. It was, you know, the, the performances in that period were so underwhelming and that applies to, you know, Mikel Arteta's reign full stop uh, from an underlying numbers perspective. So although we've seen an upturn in results, the performances and processes remain extremely poor. Um, so since Arteta was appointed as manager, They've averaged just 1.3 expected goals for per game, while allowing 1.8 expected goals against per game. So, just to put that in perspective, under Unai Emery uh, for the last season and a half, Arsenal were averaging 1.5 expected goals for and 1.6 expected goals against per game. So, basically, Arteta's taken Arsenal backwards from an underlying numbers perspective, which like I said, is a massive worry. And, you know, another really good stat that I like is that since Arteta was appointed, no Premier League team has created fewer chances than Arsenal. Um, the Gunners have managed just 103 chances in 11 Premier League matches under Arteta. So, yeah, that, that, is, that to me it says it all. They can't defend, they can't attack. Um, what What are they? What are Arsenal nowadays? Um, and, you know, that's the main reason why I can't get on board with with them in this game. And, you know, I accept that they're playing with a little bit more um, aggression, a little bit more organisation, but they're still kamikaze. Um, and, you know, I don't think that'll ever change until the personnel does. And obviously in this current climate, it's going to be difficult for, for Arteta to right some of those wrongs in the transfer market, which is probably why he's trying to, um, you know, he's, he's persisting with the youth approach seeing what he's got available before he has to go and spend some big bucks but yeah worrying times for Arsenal um, I do think that this is it's a tough game for them to go to Brighton for me playing a pretty similar manner to Manchester City but just not as not as well obviously and, and not as uh, the quality of players isn't as high but they like to dominate the football they play through the lines very well Um and and I think that this could be another really tough game for Arsenal. Also, you factor in the short turnaround, Wednesday to Saturday. Um, they had a very uh, it was a late kickoff, quarter past eight. There was 11 minutes out of time. So the game didn't finish till about tw- uh, 20 past 10. Factor in the fact that they got to get to the airport, fly that t- down to London, then get to the homes. They probably didn't get in till about one o'clock, two o'clock in the morning, um, Thursday. And then obviously a rest day Thursday, training Friday, straight into the game on Saturday. Short turnaround after such a long break. I factor that in as well and I think that, that that's another reason to get um, to back against Arsenal really um, you can do that in many ways obviously you can get on side with Brighton in the double chance you can get just back in Brighton to win you can have them in, a, in the age plus 0.5 in the Asian handicap but the model just thinks that the straight outright win is, is the, the best play we calculate a 46% chance of a home win um, the market goes 40% chance of an Arsenal win so we've almost flipped the market on its head uh, plus 6% so yeah, that's the really the, the main play in this game is to get on side with a Brighton win. As always with Arsenal defensively and Brighton, the concede chances also. The the goal line, I, th- I think the goal line's quite low in this as well. Around fifty one percent chance of over two and a half. The model's at fifty nine percent. Um and both teams score at sixty one percent for the model, fifty six percent for uh the market. So, you know, I, I think a two one score line is probably a decent bet in this to Brighton. Uh, same as reverse, but yeah. The, the main play is just to get Brighton on side.
0: Right. Well, let's get on to West Ham versus Wolves and similar to a, a few games in, in game week 30, this is one that, that could, could have big implications at, at opposite ends of the table. West Ham fighting to stay in the league. Wolves looking to secure Europa League qualification for the, the second successive season, potentially go even further and get an unlikely champions league spot. Um, regular listeners regular listeners will will know that I'm a I'm a West Ham fan I'm I'm more than happy to admit that and and how terrible they've been this season they in all honesty they they probably deserve to go down hopefully they don't but this is one of the tougher games in the run in for them so so I think getting anything out of this will will be a positive and then they'll look to pick up some wins as the as the season goes on Wolves pretty much need to be faultless from from now until the end of the season if they're going to catch Chelsea as well as go past Sheffield United and Manchester United along the way. Um, they have been consistent all season. They've, they've now benefit, benefited from a, a long break. So in theory, without those Europa League commitments for the time being, they, they should be able to really go for it. Um, the market has them at 45% chance of the win on the road, odds of 2.15. West Ham 3.65, which is just pushing 27%. And the draw is 3.34 or 28%. So... I think on paper, this is a team outside the top six, away at a team looking to secure safety, but it's it's really probably a Champions League quality team against one that should be in the championship next season. So is 2.15 on Wolves, do you think that's, that's short enough or, or should it be shorter?
1: <laughs> we think it should be way shorter. Um, another team that we like all season long uh, and last season, Wolves. They've been sensational yet again, but we'll start with West Ham. Um, you know, we spoke about it last week. Looking at when we looked at the outrights, that we actually think West Ham will stay up eventually. Um, it will be a long, hard slog for them, but we think that they'll they'll just eke over the line. Um, you know, you said it there. They perform like a championship team pretty much all season long. Defensively, they're, they've been exceptionally poor, and that hasn't changed since David Moyes' arrival, which um, you know would perhaps come as a as a bit of a surprise to many, given the fact that. Obviously, David Moyes is renowned as a, as a much more pragmatic coach than, a, say, a Pellegrini. Um, but yeah, since Moyes' arrival, they've collected just eight points from ten games, um, which you know is, is a pretty tragic return. Um, three of those came against Bournemouth, who are obviously in a arguably a worse run of form than them. Um, and you know, in that in that period, they've allowed an average of just over one point nine four expected goals against per game, um, and only three teams have averaged more in that time. Aston Villa, Bournemouth, and Tottenham, which you know, <laughs> yeah, we've already discussed Tottenham's plight. Um, but yeah, West Ham—they've they've struggled all season long. They've been in and around the um, the bottom of our expected goals table pretty much all season long. The main reason for that is the defence. Um, they're fortunate not to have conceded more goals. Um, Fifty goals conceded, sixty-two expected goals against. Uh, yeah, there's not too much else to say um i thought the personnel there at the moment is probably not good enough um to be able to or to cause wolves too many problems i think wolves are just they're going to be extremely well organized as per usual um you know and one of the one of the things to to consider with wolves especially maybe not in this game but moving forward is the fact that they they've been so used to playing thursday sunday thursday sunday this season um and they've proved that they can deal with that crazy schedule the fact that they actually sit um you know in touching distance of a champions league place that will you know that will bodes well for them moving forward with what is an absolutely mental premier league schedule f- throughout to the end of the season so they've got that in their favour and like you've mentioned already they don't have any europa league commitments the three months off will have been an absolute blessing for nuno's side they obviously started the season i think in uh June at the start of not June sorry that's too early uh, at the end of July with obviously the Europa League qualifiers so they've had a longer season than uh, many teams up until this point so they'll have been desperate for that rest and you know in terms of a pool of players Nuno selects from maybe 15 16 players maximum he doesn't rotate his squad too much um, or his team too much so they'll be you know they'll be much fresher for this rest than quite a lot of teams and and I think that what we saw with Wolves Post Europa League matches was that they got off to pretty slow starts and finished strongly. Now that they're a little bit fresher, I would imagine they'll just start strong and finish strong and, and, and prove too strong for quite a few of the teams that they're going to be playing, uh, including West Ham here. So uh, the other thing to look at as well is away from home, Wolves have been excellent. They've got the fourth best away process um, according to expected goals. That's 1.7 expected goals for, 1.2 against. Um, and, yeah, you know, personally, I don't think they'll have too much issues at West Ham. They've got a great record against them in recent, um, recent head-to-head matches. Uh, I don't think West Ham have scored against Wolves since the return to the Premier League and I could see that continuing, really. Um, and you know, All of that added together means that your uh, 2.15 about Wolves looks like a tremendous bit of value. Um, we actually, The model thinks that they should be odds-on. We give them a 58% chance of getting the win, so that equates to odds of around 1.72. So, yeah, the 2.15 is fantastic value as, as a best bet. Um, and again, the goal line looks quite low to, to me on the on the market, <coughs> especially given the fact that West Ham can't defend. So, sixty-one percent chance of over two and a half, forty-eight percent chance on the market. But the main play really from uh, from him for goal is just to get 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 Wolves on side, get back in Luno's side.
0: I can't argue with any of that, but I'm not going to ask you any more questions because I think the <laughs> the less said, the better from my perspective. We'll. We'll move straight on to Bournemouth versus Crystal Palace. I, I don't want to seem like a, a broken record, but it is another game with a, another relegation contender. This time, one of the teams that currently occupy a, a relegation spot with Bournemouth. You just said it there. There's not many teams worse than, than West Ham this season, but but Bournemouth are, are probably one of them, a, a fair position in the table, um, judging by what we've seen over the course of the season. But it's it's been really strange for them, I think. They're... They're usually so good going forward, but they're, they're at 1.3 expected goals for per game. It's That's like fourth or fifth worst in the league. They had that strange patch where they were uncharacteristically solid at the back. They they had a few clean sheets on the spin, impressive defensive performances, but didn't last very long and, and they've been given up chances left, right and centre to their opponents again. Crystal Palace are one of the, the teams with a worse attacking output than Bournemouth. Their average is just 1.1 expected goals for per game their defence is is much better um still not great at 1.7 expected goals against per game but it's it's the overperformance at the back that's helped them to that 11th place in the league if they'd conceded as many as, as they should have we'd we'd probably be talking about two relegation contenders here but the market's pretty even across the board bournemouth benefiting from home advantage with odds of 2.54 which is pushing a, a 40 40% chance um and then palace at 3.99 which is around 32% Another one, potentially the goals market might be interesting here. Pinnacle's got it at a, low, at a low 2 and 2.5 and there isn't too much on the over to actually push that up. So what kind of numbers are we looking at with InfoGoal?
1: Um, yeah, we, we really interesting game. I'm um, not too sure what to expect from either team, to be honest, coming into this one, um, you know. Look at Bournemouth. I think this is this is a massive game for them, um, not only because of the predicament that they're in, but um, also because of how tough their upcoming schedule is. You know, they've got to go to Wolves, they've got to go to Manchester United, they've got Spurs at home, they've got Leicester at home, um, and then they've got got to go to Man City and Everton. So that is a tough running, um, especially when you're needing points. Um, and you know, to put it bluntly, um, Bournemouth have been pretty tragic since the ninth of November. Um, They've lost 13 of the last 18 league games. Um, Performances have reflected those results as well. So in in that time, Bournemouth have allowed an average of nearly two expected goals against per game uh, while creating just 1.2 expected goals for per game. So they've been performing like a relegation team. And and, you you could say that for three or four of the teams down at the bottom. Um, They've all been basically exceptionally poor, barring the likes of Watford and Brighton. So really... It's really hard to envisage what we're going to get from Bournemouth. We've seen good bits prior to the break. Obviously, you think of the the two one win over Aston Villa. They were really impressive. Uh, the two two draw against Chelsea. They were solid. But then obviously, there's the bad, which was you know three nil defeat at at Burnley. Um, a really poor two one defeat at Sheffield United, in which they conceded a ton of chances. So you know it's really hard to predict what we're going to see, but. You know, looking at the recent form, obviously it's not that, that recent, given the fact that we played three months ago, but the, every single one of the last five matches went over uh, 2.5 goals, which says to me that Eddie Howe was trying to play a, a more on the front foot um, and try and take the initiative in matches and I, I don't expect that to change too much in this game, or or obviously moving forward, I've already specified how crucial this game could prove to be, just purely because of the fixtures that they've got coming up. This is a game that's very winnable compared to what's that, six of their following eight uh, matches. So they need to get something from this game. And I think that the only way they do that is is play on the front foot. Um, Obviously, the whole Ryan Fraser debacle isn't really going to help them in an attacking sense, the fact that he's refusing to extend his contract um, so he can't play for them. But you know, on the plus side, they've got David Brooks back in from injury. Um, He was fantastic at the start of the season and, and at the back end of last season. So that's a boost. Uh, but defensively, there is their main, or is my main question marks around uh, around Bournemouth, and it has been ever since they came into the Premier League. Really, um, as for Crystal Palace, they pulled themselves well clear of the relegation zone um, prior to the break with three successive one 0 wins, the, the most Roy Hodgson thing ever. Um, all three of those were much improved performances from um, a defensive standpoint, apart from away at Brighton. But one thing that we have seen and what you've already spoken about there is the fact that they're massively flattered by their current position of 11th, 15th in our expected goals table. Um, And they've only conceded 32 goals this season, which is one of the best tallies in in the Premier League. It's actually only one more goal conceded than Manchester City, believe it or not. But that doesn't really tell the full story, the fact that they've allowed nearly 49 expected goals against. So... Conceded nearly seventeen fewer than would have been expected, which is a you know a huge overperformance and something that we don't expect to continue for too much longer. Um on the road this season, they've they've been pretty steady, have Palace, seventeen points from fourteen games. But the process away from Celeste Park's been really poor, um, especially at the back, allowing over two expected goals against per game. If they continue in that manner, then we should be in for a pretty entertaining game. Um, and you know they might be struggling to come away with something if, if they allow that many um, good chances. So it's a really intriguing game. Obviously it's, it's, I think it's live on BBC this one. I think it's the first game on terrestrial TV f- from the Premier League for, um, you know, a good number of years, hopefully for the many viewers that will be watching it, it'll be a, a you know, really entertaining game as the infogo model is, is forecasting. So over two and a half, we've got a 57% chance. The market's around, 46%. Huge value there. Um, I think the market is, is viewing this more as Bournemouth approaching it with a very tentative touch rather than um, a much more attacking style and, and flow that we've seen from them since they uh, got promoted to the Premier League. Both teams to score, we think, is value as well. 59% compared to 53 And The 1x2, we think there's a little bit of value in siding with the hosts, uh, purely because of Crystal Palace's poor process away from home and, and, and obviously their defensive issues. So, 45% chance of a home win, the market's at 40%. But for me, the best value bet in this one is to get on side with the both teams to score.
0: Right, on to the next one, because we've got Newcastle versus Sheffield United. And we've spoken before about how Newcastle are, are one of the most, or the most fortunate team this season. They they offer very little in attack. They, they give up plenty of chances at the back. And, and based on their underlying performances, they are, I mean, they've, they've got to be the worst team in the league. However, thanks to some some narrow wins that they they in games that they should have lost, a few late goals to salvage a point or three, they've they've ended up around mid-table, which is is quite 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 surprising. I was going to say it's it's incredible, really. Um, But speaking of fortunate, Sheffield United probably experienced the the biggest slice of bad luck I think I've ever seen after the the goal that wasn't given against Aston Villa. 3 points there would have would have kept them alive in the race for the Champions League. It's technically it's still on. It's it's very unlikely, but even if they managed to get that sixth place, it's it's still an incredible achievement. Um, despite having the ball over the line, Sheffield United they they weren't really that impressive or as impressive as as they has been the, as they have been this season against Villa. I think their their goalkeeper Dean Henderson was was probably man of the match against what is a, a poor Aston Villa team good chance obviously here for them to get back to winning winning ways against Newcastle and Newcastle don't really have anything to play for it's, it's interesting to see where the motivation comes from them it is another road favorite maybe one that you you could argue should be shorter Sheffield United 2.42 so again 40% chance Newcastle just under 30% at 3.37 and you can get the draw at 3.31 which is a touch over 30% do you think the odds are fair here and, and is there some value on offer
1: um, we, we think the odds are fair, yeah. Uh, the 1x2 market especially, where we're looking for value is again in the goals market, um, which may be a surprise given the obviously the um, defensive nature of these two teams. Newcastle, um, you know, you ticked all the boxes there, Ben. Very fortunate to be where they are. Um, one of the worst teams in the league according to expected goals, if not the worst. Um, yeah, I think they actually sunk to the foot of the expected goal table after Villa's draw last night. Um, So, yeah, they've been poor all season. I think the the only bit of motivation that they will have um, is obviously if this takeover does happen, then players will be almost playing for the places next season. And obviously Steve Bruce will be coaching for his job next season. So uh, motivation to finish the season strongly. Um, But yeah, in terms of expected goals process, it doesn't really come any worse than, than what Newcastle have produced. 1.9 1.9 expected goals against per game. Uh, they've only conceded 1.4 actual goals per game, showing just um, you know, the, the level of overperformance. Uh, and 1.05 expected goals, for per game. So struggling to create chances on a regular basis. Um, they've been clinical with the chances when they have got them. So 25 goals scored, 31 expected goals. Um, defensively, they've been vulnerable, but they have... Yeah, you know, I think Martin Dubravka in the net has had a, a sensational season in terms of keeping... Um, keeping goals out as a team, they've overperformed by um, nearly uh, 16 goals uh, defensively. So, yeah, if if they continue to concede chances at the rate they are, then they will start con- conceding goals um, at that same rate. Uh, regression will hit them at some point, point. Um, and you know I'm hoping the same is going to be uh, going to happen for Sheffield United, who obviously are one of the league's lowest scorers with 30 goals. I think only Newcastle. Um, and Crystal Palace, Bournemouth and Norwich have scored fewer. So they're sat sixth in the table on uh, having scored 30 goals in 29 games, which is staggering really. And, and obviously the defence is, is to thank for that, allowing just 25 goals. Only Liverpool have conceded fewer. But if you look at their expected goal numbers, they're you know quite considerably higher, uh, both for and against. So they've averaged 1.4 expected goals for per game, scored at pretty much just over a goal a game. Um, and defensively, they've allowed 0.86 goals per game, uh, and nearly 1.4 expected goals against per game. So basically, they, their goals should have seen uh, sorry, their games should have seen more goals this season than than what they actually have. Um, so their games have seen 55 goals, um, whereas we should have seen close to 89 goals according to expected goals. So poor finishing good goalkeeping and defending has contributed to that. Um, and again, hopefully regression hits and we do start seeing um, the goals flying in, in in Sheffield United's matches. Although you are right to point out the fact that they were very poor against Aston Villa in terms of creating chances. Um, even you know, even if, if the goal had have been given, um, it came from a, a free kick that probably had around a 0.3 chance of being scored and then obviously a defensive error from the goalkeeper. So it would have still been a... Uh, an attacking performance in which they created fewer than 0.5 expected goals. Very unusual for them, especially uh, against Aston Villa, um, who are one of the worst defensive teams in the league. But I do think that that's got uh, the rest has got something to do with it. Um, the break, sorry, um, obviously John Fleck was missing, who's a big player for them, uh, as well as uh, Jack O'Connell, one of the famous overlapping centre halves. I think I think at least one of them might be back for this game, uh, which will be a huge boost yeah the market's got this pretty much spot on in terms of the uh, 1x2 market with 40% chance of of Sheffield United getting the win um, and as i said that we're looking at the goals market for the value Newcastle there were signs that they were just starting to take the shackles off towards the um uh, towards the end or to, towards the league suspension obviously created over 3 expected goals against Southampton which was by far and away their highest total of the season um the you know, the they average, or they created one point two at Arsenal, which is pretty easy to be fair. Um, but also created one point four against Burnley, so there there were signs that they were clicking into gear a little bit, playing with a bit more freedom. Um, and let's hope that's the case, because otherwise this is going to be a very dull encounter. We've got fifty fifty chance of over two and a half goals. Markets at thirty-eight percent, so you can actually back over two and a half goals at around two point five or two point six. The model thinks it should be around even money, um, but yeah, it, it all depends really on the game state and the game flow. If there's an early goal in this one, then I would expect the floodgates to open. But if not, then you know we could be in for a pretty dour match. Um, but like we've said, Sheffield United—they're in—they're in that uh, pack looking to break into the top four, top six. This is. A very winnable game for them, especially looking at the fixtures that they've com- got coming up. They've got to go to Manchester United. Then they've got Arsenal, Tottenham at home, Wolves at home, Chelsea at home, Leicester away, Everton at home. So they've got a really tough run in. This is the sort of game that they need to be winning if they've got any aspirations of breaking into that um, European spots. Both teams' scores also value 54% compared to 46 Yeah, hopefully we get a better game than what we saw on Wednesday between Villa and Sheffield United. But, you know... Not holding my breath on that too much, even though the model is is suggesting that
0: we should be in for a pretty entertaining game. Well, fingers crossed that we do have a good one. Um, one one question that I'd I'd like to ask is that I know, um, when there's often a, a big discrepancy between the the underlying performance or the expected goals figures and the actual figures, when it when it goes on for quite a while, say thirty odd games, people might begin to question like, is it is it just an anomaly in the model? Is it a way a team is set up? Like I know. Burnley were the famous ones that would bust any XG model. Liverpool's defensive setup is is quite unique in how they limit the opposition. Is there, is there anything to dig into to Sheffield United with with Chris Wilder's unique tactics or setups that that maybe shows why they're able to to not concede as many as they should?
1: Perhaps, yeah. Uh, I mean, there's obviously there's there's two things that you or two conclusions that you could make. Uh, obviously, the first one is the fact that a 38 game season is still a very small sample size. Uh, we tend to look at at least fifty games um, for a period of regression, um, and then the the second is, is I think we spoke about this when we were discussing Liverpool, I think it probably just after Christmas, um, and the fact that when you look at post shot XG, Liverpool um, basically reduced the pre shot XG quite considerably by getting blocks, um, taking the pace and the swerve and uh, the sting off off shots, narrowing angles, uh, and. I would imagine that Sheffield United also do something similar, but also Sheffield United have got one of the best goalkeepers in the league, according to expected goal over performance. So, Dean Henderson, I think, I think he's saved, or according to expect XG two, which is XG from a goalkeeper's perspective, um, I think he's around overperformed by around nine at uh, nine goals, which I think is the second most in the league this season. So. He's been extremely impressive, uh, and he's one of the reasons why Sheffield United are so high in the league, uh, and obviously why they keep so many clean sheets. But also, you could probably look at the fact that they do narrow angles very well and, and block shots, and like I said, takes the sting off certain shots. That um, could have something to do with it, but again, it could just be, or we could be in for a period of regression. Um, whether that be at the start of next season, if you think back to Burnley, they um, was it last season. Obviously finished seventh to get into the Europa League uh, in 1718, and then at the start of 1819, they were tragic. Their performances basically reflected their results, which is why they finished, uh, or they were in the bottom of three at Christmas. Sean Dash made changes, and the process increased and improved, uh, and they pulled themselves well clear. and They've just kicked on again from that this season. So at some point, it will catch up with you unless you um, unless you improve your process. Is what I'm trying to say.
0: Cool. Now let's move on to Aston Villa versus Chelsea. Aston Villa are obviously the the beneficiaries of the the goal that wasn't given for Sheffield United and they would have wanted the win, but I think the draw is still a a bit of a boost for them and and more so how they actually performed against what is normally a good Sheffield United side. They are only one point off West Ham in 16th, but they've they've got a fairly tough run in for the remainder of the season. So it's going to it's gonna take a lot for them to to get out of the relegation zone and, and starve off those those other teams in and around them. Um starts obviously that running with a with a good Chelsea side who have held on to the fourth and, and final Champions League spot for most of the season. They've got a three point cushion at the moment and they'll they'll be disappointed, I think, if they aren't in a Champions League spot next season based on, on what we've seen. They probably should have scored more than they have, and they if they could tighten up at the back and, and maybe concede fewer goals, then they they'd probably be a real a real threat to the teams above them. Chelsea are short for this one. Pinnacle's got them at 1.534, which is a 63% chance. Aston Villa not given much chance at 6.11, which is 16%. What are your thoughts for this?
1: Uh, we think Chelsea should be a little bit shorter. We've obviously discussed Aston Villa a little bit in, uh, in Monday's pod ahead of the game against Sheffield United. Uh, I thought they were they were okay against Sheffield United. They were a bit more organised than what we've seen from them all season. I do think that it was a little bit of um, fatigue or not mat- lack of match sharpness uh, from Sheffield United's attacking players. But on the whole, it was an OK performance. It really didn't create too much, though, in the way of good scoring chances, which is a big issue. Um, but yeah, the main issues Villa have had all season long have come in defence. And I do think that Chelsea are a team that will... Or they have a better chance of exploiting those weaknesses uh, than Sheffield United, for example. But nonetheless, that point, um, again, Sheffield United takes them to within a point of safety. They sit second bottom, rightly so, according to expected goals. They've been um, the second worst team in the league. They've been the worst defensive team in the league, Um, as I've said. They've allowed nearly 70 expected goals this season. Um, Fortunate to have conceded only 56 goals. Uh, A lot of a lot of improvement is needed defensively if they are to have any chance of staying up. Uh, I think it's 2.34 expected goals against this season uh, is what they've averaged per game. Uh, that that total doesn't really decrease too much at home either. I think just over two expected goals at home. So, yeah, real issues defensively. Um, like I said, they looked a little bit tighter against a very limited Sheffield United side, but I expect them to be exploited in this game. Chelsea, uh, not too... Sp- too much to say about Chelsea really they, they've they been a top four team all season um, rightly so according to their expected goal numbers they've ranked as the third best team in the league all season long pretty much um, averaging just over two expected goals per game this season um, which is a really strong attacking effort and obviously this break's done the world of good in getting attacking players back fit like Ruben Loftus-Cheek um, Christian Pulisic I'm expecting them to come firing out of the blocks um, and expecting them to get a pretty comfortable win here. Obviously, they finished the season, oh, the pre-break season, in in pretty emphatic manner. Thrashing Everton 4-0. Could be a similar scoreline here. I, I do think that Chelsea will win this quite handsomely. 66% chance of, a, of an away win is, is what the model's saying. So, the 63% that you're getting on the market, you've got a decent amount of value in that. Over 2.5%, 64% on the model, 59% on the market. Um, but but yeah, so value there, but uh, in terms of the both teams to score, we think there's a, a little bit too short, um, around 58% on the market. We go 57%, so not as no value there, pretty much in line, but you're potentially looking at um, a Chelsea win to nil. Personally, I quite like the look of Chelsea at around 23 on the Asian handicap at minus one and a half. Um, I do think they're going to win this one quite comfortably. I would be surprised if Villa got a got a, a result in this one. But having said that, Chelsea have been very inconsistent with their away performances. So um it's not out of the realms of possibility, but Chelsea to win
0: comfortably is what the model's suggesting. And without getting too far ahead of ourselves, obviously Chelsea have done a decent few bits of business already with the the transfers that they've made. Are they are they ones for you maybe to watch next season? Obviously there's a there's a big old bridge to gap with with Liverpool and Manchester City, but they they look to be getting stronger and stronger.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, I think that the signings of Zayek and, and, and Werner are very good. Obviously, they'll be losing Pedro in the summer. So, Zayek, uh, is, who's a player that can play out wide or in the middle, fills that little void. Werner, again, can play down the middle or out wide, strengthening, but I think Chelsea were in a position to, to spend money, no matter the circumstances. Um, this upcoming summer window, just purely looking at the fact that they obviously they had the transfer ban, so they couldn't spend anything last summer. They sold in Hazard for around a hundred million that they couldn't spend. So no surprise to see them spending that money that's already in the bank, um, in strengthening areas in which they couldn't strengthen last summer. So very exciting times at Chelsea. I think that Lampard's got them playing a very entertaining brand of football. Um, the underlying process, as, as I've said, all season long has been pretty impressive in terms of chance creation and, and limitation. They've just had issues creating, uh, sorry, taking the chances, um, especially at home this season. So, Werner's a clinical finisher. He'll hopefully be able to help them with that. Um, and yeah, a very interesting proposition moving forward.
0: Right, now on to our second from last game. Almost the, the best till last, maybe. Um, this is going to be a big game for a few reasons. I don't think. I don't think anyone's in doubt that Liverpool are, are going to win the league, and this obviously will take them one step closer to that. It's it's got the added extra of being a Merseyside derby, and despite some indecision from the police, it, it will go ahead at Goodison Park. Um, there's there's obvious differences when you look at these two in terms of the league table, but we shouldn't be mistaken that they are still two that they're, they're, they're both very good sides, and it, it could make for a really interesting game. I don't think much needs to be said about Liverpool. Very good and, and very clinical going forward. Solid at the back, as we've discussed, with a, a unique way of, of shutting out their opponents and, and limiting the shots on goal. Everton have, have been really entertaining sides since since Ancelotti took over. They've got plenty of options going forward. They they also tend to give away chances to their opponents, which I mean, it's not something you can really afford to do against anyone, let alone league leaders Liverpool. Um, another short away favorite, Liverpool priced at 1.613, that gives them over 60% chance of the victory. Everton are quite a high price at 5.66, which is 17% chance. I know Liverpool are really good, but but can a case be made for Everton here? Do you, do you think the market's got it right? Uh, I think there can
1: be a case made for Everton, yeah. Um, in terms of getting them them getting a win, uh, I. would don't really see that myself but I do think the market is a little bit short on Liverpool um, I think around 61% on the market uh, an away win the model goes around 44% so we really liking Everton's chances of avoiding defeat at the very least um, as you said there since Carlo Ancelotti came in Everton have been really good really impressive uh, they've averaged over two expected goals per game since his arrival um, you know you look at their recent form obviously prior to the break it doesn't make for particularly good reading, a defeat at Arsenal, um, a draw with Manchester United and, and a thumping loss at Chelsea. But two of those games, they, they were by far and away the better team in co- according to expected goals. So against Arsenal, generated nearly 2.7 expected goals to Arsenal's 1.3, lost the game 3-2. Against Manchester United, they created 2.6 expected goals, uh, allowed just 1.2 only drew 1-1. So they were unfortunate uh, with those two results before a really poor performance and display against Chelsea. But promising signs under Ancelotti. I've been really impressed with them, especially in in attack. And I think that that sort of style is the only way that they're going to know how to play in this one, um, which means that we should be in for a pretty entertaining match. Obviously, the last few Merseyside derbies at Goodison have have been pretty dull affairs, nil-nils. But the reverse game in the Premier League, which I believe Ancelotti was in charge of, uh, was a 5-2 a uh, Liverpool win, which was just an absolutely kamikaze game in which there was chances both ends. Um, and I, I believe that the XG total in that game was actually pretty pretty level. Yeah, 1.93 for Liverpool, 1.88 for Everton. So yeah, I think it was 4-2 yeah, it was at half-time. So hopefully we see something similar. But um, I highly doubt it if, if the chances pretty much the same as in this game because Liverpool were exceptionally clinical to a level that would probably wouldn't be uh, repeatable. But yeah, Everton have the tools to cause Liverpool problems. They play, like I said, on the front foot and I think Liverpool are probably used to teams playing uh, a more defensive manner against them. So it will be interesting to see how Everton and Liverpool respond to to Everton having a go because they've got nothing to lose really. At mid-table, they're not going to go down. They're not going to get in Europe. Um, and in terms of underlying process over the course of the season, they actually sit sixth in our expected goal table. Obviously, Ancelotti has improved them, but even when Silver was in charge, they ranked as one of the, the better teams in the league going to expected goals. Um, yeah, as for Liverpool, I mean, if you go on the InfoCol site and, and look at their recent form, two wins in six in all competitions with, with four defeats, which is a huge surprise. Um, you know, it's not something you expect to see from them. Obviously, the Atletico Madrid Champions League loss, um, Watford's 3-0 defeat in the Premier League uh, and, a, and a defeat in the FA Cup as well. So they've got nothing else to play for really other than the Premier League, which is already wrapped up. So be interesting to see what approach Jürgen Klopp takes, as we mentioned on the Monday podcast. 50-50 as to whether they break, break Manchester City's point record, which is currently set at 100. Um, this would be a good game to start. They've got a full, fully fit squad. Everyone will be raring to go. Couple of players that were like uh, Minamino, who was signed in January, had more time to bed in and get used to systems. Be interesting to see what kind of player he is. Um, but yeah, they were showing signs towards the um, league suspension of, of being a little bit more vulnerable defensively with Liverpool. Obviously, they had that incredible run of clean sheets earlier on in the season, but allowing um, you know, create conceding good chances against. West Ham, um, obviously Watford, they allowed over two expected goals in the last away match in the Premier League. And then against Bournemouth, where they narrowly won, um, or narrowly beat a really struggling Cherry side. So yeah, there are a few question marks coming out of this break uh, that I have around Liverpool. Obviously, they're going to win the league. That's pretty much a given. But um, yeah, I'm not too confident on their chances of getting a win or not as confident as what the market's suggesting with, um, you know, what, well, the model's calculating a 56% chance of Everton avoiding defeat. So I think you can back Everton or the draw around well, they're around odds against maybe what was it 40%, 40% chance of, of Everton avoiding defeat. So the 56 that the model's suggesting means that that is, a, you know, incredibly good value in, in siding with Everton. We also think there's going to be goals. As as you've said, Everton have been really entertained to watch, conceding good chances, creating plenty. Um, I don't think this is going to be a normal nil-nil Merseyside derby at Goodison. Sixty-one percent of over two and a half compared to fifty-six on the market, so there's value there. Also, both teams to score. I think the market is still looking at Liverpool's clean sheet record and goals conceded record, and, and perhaps thinking that that we could be in for a, another Liverpool clean sheet. But you know, they, like we've said, they've, they're a team that have overperformed defensively, just like Sheffield United um, in terms of expected goals against per game. They've allowed over one um, and goals against they've conceded just 21 in 29. So, yeah, conceding a few more chances than what they're, they're, uh, the table suggests. So both teams score 62% chance on the model, 55 on the market. But the main play really is, is to get Everton on side, whether that be a, a plus 0.5 Asian handicap or maybe plus one, um, or just getting them on the double chance.
0: Right, so now it's our, our final game of, of game week 30, Manchester City versus Burnley. No surprise that Pinnacle have got Manchester City as, as very short favourites for this one. Odds of 1.113 men, they're given an 85% chance of the win, 10% of, for the draw at 9.31 and Burnley's price of 20.3 gives them a massive 5% chance of the win. Um, We've talked a lot about how good City have been and, and how much closer they should be to Liverpool. They're they're one of the few teams that we've seen in competitive action, and that they they dominated as we would have expected against Arsenal. I, I assume we're gonna we're gonna see more of the same here. The over unders for goals is set at three point five, and the money is all for the over, so people are expecting another big performance from De Bruyne, Sterling, and and maybe Aguero coming back into the starting lineup. It is obviously a a very short price, one of the shortest we've seen this season. Do you do you fancy City here? Maybe looking towards like the handicap or the goals market or set instead or or is there is there a reason to back Burnley in this one, Jake?
1: <laughs> no reason to back Burnley, no. But um, in terms of Man City, uh, no value in backing them outright, no value in backing them on any handicap. We think they're a little bit too short. Um, uh, I think we've got a 77% chance of them getting the win. Uh, yeah, it, it's hard to make a case for anything other than a Manchester City win. They were emphatic against Arsenal, obviously keeping a clean sheet in the process. At home, they've been excellent this season, according to XG. 2.7 expected goals for, uh, created per game, not 0.87 against. But uh, yes, yeah, so like I said, it's really hard to make a case for anything other than a City win. But from a betting angle, um, I'm looking at both teams to score as a potential. Um, just purely because Burnley have been really impressive uh, in, from an attacking standpoint this season. Or more impressive than they have in recent years. Um, they've averaged 1.5 expected goals four per game this season, obviously. Prior to the break, they created plenty of good chances on a regular basis. They actually racked up um, more than three XG on two occasions in the last three matches before the break uh, in a win against Bournemouth and a draw against Tottenham. They also racked up two and a half, nearly two and a half expected goals against Arsenal. So they are a very potent attacking team. And I, and I, I do fancy, I, I think they've got a better chance of scoring against Manchester City than what Arsenal did. Um, not saying that there's any. Arsenal are slightly the better team than Burnley, but I just think the, the styles of play um, that Burnley, obviously the, the set pieces are more into play in terms of scoring from those. They're much more direct, which I think um, can catch City off guard. So both teams to score is the angle we're looking at from a from a, a betting perspective and a value perspective. So I think it's around 51% on, on the market both teams to score. We're around 54%. So the small value there, you've said already, the goal line's quite high I, 52% chance of over three and a half. The model's at 50%, so pretty much in agreement. But yeah, I think both teams scores an interesting angle. If you want to get um, a, a bit, obviously a bigger price, then you can back the home win and both teams to score. Uh, but I'll be happy just with the uh, both teams score. I think if you remember the, the reverse fixture, it was around Christmas time or just before Christmas time. Man City were 4-0 up at Turf Moor before Burnley managed to save uh, or salvage a goal consolation in the 89th minute which landed both teams to score that day i'd take something similar in this one i
0: seem to remember that wasn't that some fluky 30 odd yard goal
1: yeah i think it was a deflection a deflected goal yeah um robbie brady so yeah it, it meant nothing on the day apart from landing a both teams to score bet so hopefully something similar like i said man city to win both teams to score if you want a little bit of a bigger price
0: well, that is it, done and dusted now, and there's a bit of respite. We'll be we'll be back again next week, straight into to game week 30. As I said, that the the fixtures are coming thick and fast now, but it's it's obviously given us a lot to look forward to. Um, pleasure as always, Jake. Thanks for for taking the time to help our listeners with their bets for this weekend. Oh, pleasure's mine, Ben. Thank you. And if you want more information on Infogold, then visit infogold.net. Follow at Infogold app on Twitter, and you can download the app on iOS and Android. The Pinnacle Scores app is also now available on iOS and Android. It lets you follow the in-play market, set set alerts for when the odds get to the price you want and get that bet down straight away. All the latest odds for Game Week 30 fixtures are in the Premier League on Pinnacle.com. Best of luck with your bets and remember to always gamble responsibly.